you know, when, when kids need to go to bed, they suddenly turn into dehydrated philosophers. They have a glass <laughs> of water, and they want to expound on the great principles and questions of the day. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Tom Pagasic. And today I'm joined by Erica Ahern and Josh Mercer from The Loop Team. And to start off, did either of your homes get raided by the FBI this week? I mean, technically, no, but I am fighting with the government right now. So a <laughs> little tax issue going on. Okay. Well, you could be next. <laughs> we all could be next, Pogo. So let's get into the top story. Top story, obviously, the FBI raids Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago. And we have uh, noted critics, Andrew Cuomo, saying that the DOJ really must immediately explain the reason for this raid. I honestly still haven't heard a good explanation. Have either of you? I mean, presumably, the people are saying it's a bunch of presidential records that Donald Trump took with him from the White House to his home including materials that were sensitive or top secret, uh, in which case you're not supposed to remove them. You're not supposed to take them with you. Um, I mean, of course, so many things come to mind right away, which is Barack Obama took like 10 times more documents from the White House to his offices in Chicago after he left the White House. No one really seemed to raise us think about that. Also the case that every president has the authority to declassify something that's top secret, whether or not that was a smart idea or not on any given document. Sometimes sometimes presidents declassify stuff they shouldn't. But to, so to me, so most people, when they figure, when they learn that, they're like, wait a minute, Trump took documents that he assumed that were just that his to take to start his presidential library. And if there's anything that's top secret, he would have had the authority to have removed that top secret clearance anyway. So if that's all that, that this is, that's why the CNN legal analyst was saying that sounds like it was it would be a catastrophic mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that's all that this was to raid his house for that it seemed to be a big misstep. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the big thing that Ben Shapiro keeps saying this, he's like, there had better be a really good find. Right. They they need to find something now to justify raiding the home of a former U.S. president, the private residence of a former U.S. president. Um, or it's just going to be the the PR disaster of the century. And really, I mean, I couldn't think of a a better move to turn Trump into even more of a martyr for his side, like uh, for for Trump supporters all over the country. And you know, a better way to convince even more um, Americans that that the federal government is against them and that they're persecuting Trumpers and. It's the next step up from Hillary Clinton's deplorables remark, right? Or several steps beyond the deplorables remark, which just drove that attitude that just drove even more voters into the Trump camp in 2016. Um, I mean, I think part of the frustration is, you know, the the left has said that Donald Trump was such a, a rupture from the standard norms of political discourse and how things are done even if it wasn't technically unconstitutional for him to do X, Y, or Z, he was such a breach from what we consider to be the political norms. And well, how do you justify that with saying we're going to conduct an FBI raid on a former president's house? It's just, it, again, it, it just shows that 
all this talk about standards and norms and it's all just hogwash. It's not helping the people who think that politicians and bureaucracy are a bunch of hypocrites because two things. Trump, I know, smashed fundraising records off of this and talk about a springboard for 2024. And Hillary Clinton also used this as an opportunity to fundraise. She sold merchandise that said, but her emails. And I don't know if in this crazy past couple of years we've forgotten, but there was a whole Russia hoax that was proved to be a hoax very recently by the FBI. The email server at Hillary's house that was illegal. Her house wasn't raided. Uh, I have some other pretty notable examples of people not being raided before Trump. Uh, none of the Jelaine Maxwell child sex trafficking clients have been named. None of the, well, finally, Larry Nassar is being taken care of by the FBI. It took way too long on that. There's physical evidence uncovered indicating an abortion clinic in D.C. had been murdering fully developed and already born infants. No investigation from the, from the Department of Justice. Might I add Hunter Biden's riding on Air Force One right now, mm-hmm. and he has a noted history of drugs, women, and uh, obnoxiously illegal activity. So that paired with the Department of Justice under Biden labeling parents who care about their kids as domestic terrorists, is this really the straw that's going to break the camel's back? I think people are just so beyond fed up with institutions ran by the Biden administration. But the FBI kind of has a history of being extremely shady and not trustworthy and running things that are really targeting just American citizens. I just this it's crazy that that this would be the next move by them to gain trust from the public. Well, of course, the Biden administration claims that the White House had no knowledge of this, which would just speak to complete uh, malpractice. Like, how would you not know, like, why, how would you not bring this up the food chain if you're the FBI? Like, you know what? We're thinking about raiding the home of a former president of the United States. Like, you're just going to go Who's your current political rival? Who's your current, like, front runner for president next? Yeah. And not tell the president. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just absolute bizarre. I mean, how would you not know that? But again, it makes sense, I suppose, from their standpoint, because there's, you know, they, they they have the resources to go after parents at you know teachers uh you know at, at the school board meetings they have the ability to go after uh parents at school board meetings and they have the ability to to you know send the FBI on raids against their political opponents precisely because they're not doing the things that everyone would expect the FBI to do for example try to stop the people who are bombing and burning churches all across the country or uh, pregnancy resource centers. I mean, it, it's just so frustrating that it seems to be that this FBI is very politically motivated. And of course, you brought up the Russian hoax. I mean, that was a case where there were members, rogue members of the FBI who really didn't care about the evidence and were just, it had it in their mind that we have to do whatever it takes to stop this president of the United States, this duly elected president. You could think uh, Trump was terrible, horrible policy. I totally disagree with him on everything. But it's like, do you really want agencies of the of the government, you know, to work to completely undermine his authority? Like again, this is what gets me about the left talks about the norms, you know, and the customs of our political order, and then they're completely fine with the bureaucracy that goes totally rogue and breaks through every custom and, and, and rule and just tries to undermine somebody that was elected by the American people. And just to bring up since August, I think recently. We updated this August 11th. 
there's been 63 attacks on pregnancy centers and pro-life groups and over 200 attacks since 2020 on Catholic churches around the country. We've sent in a letter to the Department of Justice. There's really been no substantial action, but we're raiding political opponents right now. And uh, and we have Joe Biden, who claims to be Catholic, and he has not spoken out against this violence. And, you know, the silence is deafening. You know, the attacks continue. And Elizabeth Warren going out of her way on the warpath to go after these pregnancy centers. Now, I can't think of many more positions less defendable than saying we're going to go shut down centers that provide diapers and counseling to expectant moms in bad positions. It's just, I think when you think about how do we win some of these culture wars, you got to pick out positions that are barbaric and untenable. One of them being, why would you go after these pro-life pregnancy centers? It's really, truly, if you're really pro-choice, you should acknowledge that there could be a choice that doesn't go the route of abortion and supports both the mother and the baby. And then also on top of that, abortion in the third trimester is barbaric. I mean, someone being a day away from being on the, on the earth, having all the full rights of an American citizen. These are positions that Elizabeth Warren and radical progressive Democrats hold and would say and would stand behind. It's, I, I, it really makes me speechless. Like That's what gets, gets lost in this translation post-Roe. And I don't want to go too far on that tangent. But anyway, our institutions are failing us, no doubt. And I think it's just really shocking to see the FBI. Well, it shouldn't be because the FBI has a really history of corruption, unfortunately. I was going to say the FBI. And when you talk about like, don't they want the trust of the I don't think the FBI cares about gaining the trust of the American people. The problem with the expansion of the executive branch into all these czars that Obama brought in and bureaucracy just expanding is that they're not answerable to the American people, right? That's the problem. The alphabet soup people? Yeah, the alphabet soup people, right? CDC, there's, I think there's a noted person, Anthony mm-hmm. Fauci, who- Oh yeah, I've heard of him. Not elected, not accountable <laughs> yeah. to people. I mean, that's really the problem yeah. with a lot of, I call them the alphabet soup agencies. These people mm-hmm. weren't elected. Yeah. We can't kick them and out. I think, I think that's why like the Mar-a-Lago raid touched such a nerve this week with people because it is it is a sort of rattling of the saber of these unelected sort of governmental bodies um, that do have such an impact on our lives and such sway over just day-to-day our day-to-day lives. And um, to see them raid the, the house of a former president who's running again, we assume, it's just sort of that it, it, it just touches the vulnerable, the vulnerability of our American system and democracy and how much we have to fight back against the encroachment of the bureaucracy. Um, because look, like we, like you said, Josh, we elected Trump. Don't go after him, right? Um, so that's sort of my, my more meta-analysis of this. It's interesting, too, because I mean, this raid comes just weeks after you know, Trump had made waves and, and communicated that you know, if he runs a second term, one of the major focuses of reform for him would be to reimpose Schedule F which mm-hmm. is an executive order he put in at the end of his uh, term there. It just kind of creates a new employment category for federal employees. What's the whole point of this? Well, the idea is right now, the president of the United States, obviously he's the commander in chief of the military, right? And he's also head of the executive branch, all the different agencies, as you mentioned, the alphabet soup there. But like 95% of the agency is permanent. They're permanent employees. and Presidents come and go, and these staffers stay, and they develop their own 
entrenchment and, and they have their own incentives and they don't really mm-hmm. care. And they're like, well, we'll just wait you out. There'll be another president. And th- what happens with that is you get a bureaucracy that is truly not responsive, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican who's the president, they're not really responsive. They just do their own thing. And so Trump is like, we need to make it, you know, so that more of the uh, appointees are responsive to an incoming president because it's like you're in right. charge of this, all these agencies and they didn't they just do their own will it, you know there's no accountability mm-hmm. uh you know it's not like you're going to take them up in front of all these employees in front of congress you know like what mm-hmm. so that you know just days after he makes that point again like we really need to have a bureaucracy that's responsive <laughs> well he got it and of course the only kind of response that that you would expect from this bureaucracy that they came after him and they raided his a twist of irony there yeah it's kind of funny it reminds me of with elon musk taking on twitter and kind of becoming more of a noted public figure in terms of politics someone made a really good comment about it was almost like he thinks he's bigger than the system and whenever you Mm -hmm. disrupt the status quo people start coming after you people started coming after elon all of a sudden these facts are coming out about his family history and he's being investigated by the government for racism claims things like that that never came up in his time as, you know, left-wing darling of renewable energy. And now we're seeing with Trump, I mean, we have seen with Trump. Trump right. always said, it's not, that's they're a not good point, coming Tom. after me. They're coming after you. I'm just standing in the way. No, that's true. But like Elon Musk is a good example because he didn't run for governor, right? Uh-huh. He's not, he's, he's not running for the Senate. So why is so much of his personal life under the microscope? Well, he is a public figure, certainly, but so is Bill Gates. So why is it that, you know, Bill Gates, who's got a lot of things that could be put under the microscope, why does the media just kind of pass over him? You know, you could ask some questions about Jeffrey Epstein, you know, and is mm-hmm. this the reason why, you know, your wife divorced you or whatever? There's so many things that a lot of questions the media could ask him about, especially since he's become very politically active and trying to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. support all the vaccine stuff and, and his radical views on trying to get rid of people eating meat and switching over to farming, all that kind of stuff. So. If Elon Musk should go under the microscope for trying to be more of a public figure, then what, you know, where are the questions for Bill Gates? It's not reciprocated. It just shows you if you're against the system, then they, 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 you know, they send out the hounds on you. But if, you know, if you play ball like Bill Gates does, they won't touch you no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. And so taking the tinfoil hat off there, we have, this was a very popular article. It's actually an old article, but I think it's pretty timeless. Everyone in this room is a parent. I am very young, for people who can't tell by my voice. And we have some very grizzled veteran parents in the room. So the article I'm talking about are Thanks, seven Tom. saintly tips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Erica's smoking a cigarette right now. You guys can't see that. But so but I was um, a young mother. <laughs> we have seven saintly tips on how to discipline a child from Don Bosco. And so this specifically, we're referring to St. John Bosco, affectionately known as Don. I just wanted to run through the seven with you guys and then really shoot to you. Have you employed some of these? What's worked? What hasn't worked? What's been your experience? So to give you a brief overview, number one is punishment should be a last resort. Two, the educator must strive to make himself loved by his pupils if he wishes to obtain their respect. Three, except in very rare instances, corrections and punishments should not be given in public, but privately and apart from the others. Four, to strike one in any way to make him kneel in a painful position to pull his ears and other similar punishments be absolutely avoided. Oops. Five, 
Sorry, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, kidding. <laughs> the educator must see the laws of discipline and the rewards and punishments entailed are made known to the pupil so that no one can make the excuse that he did not know what was commanded or forbidden. Six, be exacting when it's a matter of duty, firm in the pursuit of good, courageous in preventing evil, but always gentle and prudent. I assure you real success can only come from patience. Seven, to be real fathers in dealing with the young, we must not allow the shadow of anger darken our countenance. Any thoughts on those? I feel judged. I feel judged. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tom. Yeah, I think uh, the one that speaks to me the the most, um, especially having a larger family, God be praised, I have six children. Um, I found number three that you mentioned there. uh, Corrections and punishments should not be given in public, but privately and apart from others. That's simultaneously the hardest because we have such a full house here. um, But it's also from some of my children been the most effective where I find if I can pull them aside privately away from the siblings and dole out the necessary correction, it's much more effective and they don't feel ashamed. And then it also, the other thing that that particular piece of advice uh, allows it or prevents is the, all the other siblings ganging up on that, you know, the guilty party as it were and trying to be, See, I have mostly daughters. I have I have five daughters and one son, and uh, he has many mothers. So I found that the only way to preserve him in some cases is to pull him out of the room, out of the line of sight of all the females. Line of fire. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true, though, that other, you know, um, children love it when another child, not themselves, is in trouble. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm always Adults really- love that. I'm always very keen on that. Like, you know, my kids will hear me say it a million times. Don't chime in because I will, I will punish children who think they, they think they look better by, you know, making a smart remark when someone else gets in trouble. They know that's not, they they know dad does not like that at all. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, he says here about strive to make yourself loved, like, you know, have that sense of love. I think that's very true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to show what is the mission of this family? You know, like we are to love each other as Christ loves us. And, and so just being able to say, you know, and, and as a father, I always say this, like, look, I have to try to get my wife, myself and you to heaven. That's the mission here. I mm-hmm. love you more than anything else. You know, I would lay down my life for any of you. But also just to un- have this understanding, like, I'm also, you know, I'm, you children are under our rules as parents, you know, but your parents too are also under these rules. And if I make mistakes, I go, I, I ask for your forgiveness. Absolutely. And I, go to God and I go to confession. So it's like, I'm not trying to pretend like I'm infallible here. We mm-hmm. all have the standards and, and it's necessary if we're going to have, you know, a cohesive family as much as we can. And so I always try to, you know, not just explain that the love, but just to understand like, the purpose of it because i always joke my you know when, when kids need to go to bed they suddenly turn into dehydrated philosophers they have a glass <laughs> of water and they want to expound on the great principles and questions of the day i'm writing uh, that and, down and <laughs> so it's it's like you gotta have you know you know the thing is my dad i always remember it, you know he was very strict he would say that do this do that and i'd say well why you know i always wanted to know the why And so I tell my kids, I go, listen, sometimes I might not be able to tell you the reason why right now, 
Uh, and sometimes I just need you to do something because what would happen if you don't and then you get hit by a car or something like oh, that? Oh, yeah. You, you All the sometimes time. you just have to trust me. But I open myself up and I will answer questions you might have because, you know, this is, you know, this is all about trying to live together and, and love each other and stuff like that. So, yeah, and I think yeah. there's a difference between like and love. There was times I didn't always like my dad or <laughs> like the roles that he laid down. But beyond question, I love my dad. I, I have amazing parents. And I think back in the times where I didn't like my dad or didn't like my mom, there was no question that I knew they loved me and I knew that I love them, too. So I, I think that. You made an interesting point, Josh, and I think about that a lot. I think for likability, being vulnerable really makes you like someone. I think that's part of why people like podcasts and they like when public figures admit that they have shortcomings and mm -hmm. uh, talk about their failures and things like that. It just makes people more relatable and likable. I think that it also makes your parents a little bit more accessible, I guess. I, I don't know the right word, but it, you may, it's really amazing when I hear someone who I see as like, bulletproof kind of talk about, oh, well, I had these failings and I can relate. So it's, it just, it brings me closer to people when you're comfortable enough to be honest like that. And mm -hmm. I think that he's spot on with, you should really work to be someone that is admired, I think. And part of that admiration comes from that love and the vulnerability. Yeah. I was going to say too, um, something that's not in the article, of course, because John Bosco wasn't married and he was writing for teachers here. <laughs> but as far as parenting goes, um, when you're blessed to be parenting your children with your spouse, um, the unity of the spouses is so important. And the kids just totally uh, respond. Like they know when mom and dad are not on the same page with a question of discipline or a family project or a change that the family's making. Um, and it, so it's, I found it so important for my husband, Todd and I to be on the same page as far as discipline goes and to have each other's backs. Like, even if I don't agree in my heart or my head with something that he just said in front of the kids, it's gotta be that unified United front. front, United yeah, front. Yeah. It's so powerful. House divided, man. Won't stand. Yeah. And I, I was always quite adept at choosing the right parent to ask the right question to, yeah. to be honest, to be like, yeah. hmm, this is a dad request that I'm about to ask. <laughs> Divide and conquer. They always were, you would never hear them throw each other under the bus ever. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it would always be, there was, especially in terms of disrespect, disrespect to my mom was a hundred percent not tolerated. Like, <laughs> that was a score. That's actually the worst thing you could do in my house is, well, I mean, Technically, the worst thing you can do in my house would be to disparage our Lord, which has mm -hmm. never happened. But um, the next one is, you know, when someone says something snarky against mom, I come running from the other room. <laughs> and, and they know uh, yep. something's about to hit the fan. Yeah. That's not accepted at all in this house. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how it should be. And I, and, I, and I tell them, I tell them, like, listen, this isn't just rules for the sake of rules. I have, <laughs> I have an obligation to raise good children that become good citizens who love the Lord and are good neighbors. And you ask me why I do this, because it's harmful to you if you right. think you can trash talk your parents. Like, you're right. going to have a horrible life. Like, this is not the way to go through life. So, no, I owe it to you to make sure you're not an idiot. 
Yeah, and if you think you can trash talk your parents, then what comes next? Then you can trash talk your boss. Oh, when anyone, that doesn't yeah. fly. You can trash talk yeah. your friends. You're not going to have friends. Like it is a great yeah. proving ground. Try for trash talking a cop and see how that gets you. Won't <laughs> <laughs> get you very far. So I think that leads into the next topic. It's nice to have some break up some of the heavy stuff, but we're gonna go into the heavy stuff again a little bit. So we had a video put out by Ed here Fine we go called "The Real Reason Young People Are Leaving the Faith." And yes, it's heavy, but I think it's also an opportunity for reflection for each of us as we are mass attending Catholics. And I have some very strong feelings about this. I encourage everyone to go check out the video. It's on edify.us. You can find them on YouTube as well. So I wanted to ask you, Erica, first and foremost, gut reactions. Why do you think the church is experiencing this contraction? Yeah. I mean, I, I always go back to when I was younger. So like 10 years ago, I a hundred percent would have been like, it was poor catechesis. Vatican II wasn't implemented properly and, you know, liturgical winter. Um, I, I still think that those are part of the issue, but more than anything, I think it's um, an inheritance of sexual revolution and how it totally infected the church starting with the controversy in 1968 over Humanae Vitae, uh, the sort of popularization of annulments, uh, breakdown of the family, which uh, statistically affected Catholics as much as the general population. And you think, whoa, that should not have been, should have been the Catholics leading the, leading the charge on saving marriage. But no, you look at statistically, we just totally folded. And I think that we're now in the third generation out from the sexual revolution. That was the root. The liturgy is almost a, uh, the yeah, the, the breakdown of the liturgy is, I think, in effect, as it were. I think to, to make your point, if I can, you Please. can fix the liturgy, but if you don't address the underlying problem of this massive mm-hmm. cultural revolution that the sexual revolution brought, that, it, it, you know. It's not going to work. It's not. It's, exactly. That's why, I mean, I applaud, you know, I think the Latin Mass and all these other ideas are great, but it's not going to be enough if you still don't address this enormous elephant that's in the room, which is the complete transformation about the way men and women interact with each other. So, yes, I think that's a mass. I still, that remains a massive, undealt with problem. But to add, who are in the pews, the pack pews, might I add, of these traditional Latin mass parishes? I mean, they're little kids. They're huge families. A lot of families, yeah. And if you go to some of the more, you know, less attended churches, who's there? It's it's elderly people. You don't see any kids. So I, I'm not going to be crass with it, but there is a connection between marital intimacy, children, and people in the pews. They're they're Absolutely. young young kids and, and big families and. I read, I was reading some fascinating, I actually shared with my wife and I was reading some fascinating articles and threads about contraception has, we, we've, we've technologically advanced past what we were mature enough as a society to handle just because we can technologically prevent the act of sex and pregnancy happening doesn't mean that we should do that or that we were prepared for said responsibility And so our nature, in our nature, we're designed to have a direct connection between sexual intimacy and children. Once you separate that, everything crumbles beneath that. So even if we are able to separate it, it doesn't change our nature. And so that has, I think, led to 
a lot of these very unsatisfactory relationships break down in marriages. I think there's even a lot of discouragement in terms of dating relationships now is like, are we even going to get married? That's even a question. Or like when we do get married, how many kids are we going to have? How, how can we control that artificially? How do I find a good roommate to suit my lifestyle to do <laughs> middle-class hobbies with instead of thinking about the Catholic call to live your vocation as a married couple and being open to the gift of life? If that is, of course, granted to you by God, because I know it's not always possible, but then there's other options like adoption and things like that. So I think people you see in the pews have really taken on that call of, I'm here to raise my family in the faith and bring more souls to heaven. And Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, uh, and the point is that the church, you know, sort of ham-fisted response on this, because it's like, we've got this massive problem with, you know, so many broken homes, uh, the m- number of people that have a mom and a dad in the home together is uh-huh. fewer. And it's like, well, what we really need to do to win the young people over is to have, you know, music that they like for the mass or something. Oh, let's make it hip or whatever or bussin' or whatever you younger kids say. It's like <laughs> such baloney. It's like that is not it at all. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, you're, you're like, just because you make it relevant or hip or interesting or whatever the word is, you're still not addressing that fundamental problem of, you know, homes that are broken. And that's why our friend J.P. DeGans put this, got, got a bunch of local churches together and say, let's, what can we do to try to make, these marriages in these, you know, in our community stronger, you know, and what kind of effects would that have on family life, on church life? And he saw some great results in that. And I would encourage anybody to watch the video and and to get involved. Yeah. And I have to say too, I grew up in a product of our Catholic church being kind of the cultural epicenter of my childhood. Like all my friends were there. We had activities that we did there say like they would have movies or family events we had a parish festival that was super well attended we had an excellent youth group but it was kind of the cultural nucleus and i'd say as a child even i could recognize the beauty and the happiness of the lifestyle that people were living there and so mm-hmm. i didn't need you know strobe lights during liturgy to see like wow like those i really like all of these people here seem super happy. What do they have? Like what, what's going on here? And I think it just speaks that beauty kind of has a uh, transcending quality to it that can be recognized in different ages and things like that. So I think by creating those cultural epicenters again of like, hey, this is an awesome place to, to just exist and be. And so many people are happy. Mm-hmm. It's a place you can meet your future spouse. It's a place you can bring your kids around and have them make friends with other kids, like kind of recreating that I think cultural epicenter, I keep coming back to making that central to people's lives. To bring it back to J.P. DeGance's point, that culture that you experienced, Tom, and I'm familiar with your parish, I've been there several times, that culture is made possible by the strong marriages. And you can like picture in your head their faces and be like, you know, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, Mr. and Mrs. Because of those strong, and were there broken families in your parish? Yes, but they were by far the minority and it was due to some tragedy um, and they chose and it to be seen there. as a tragedy, and they, they chose to be there because of right. the families. Exactly. Right, the community could support them because the majority of people were happily married to one spouse of the opposite sex and were open to life. Right, right? right. like that's what makes that possible. And to say like, and that that's what makes it relevant because what is always relevant to anyone, no matter what age they are, is the desire to be loved and to have that 
for lack of a better word, this sounds negative, a social safety net, <laughs> like a married couple who are strong together, even if they're lower middle class, if they have a bunch of kids, they can receive more, right? Like we have the capacity to take in a mom with her younger kid because there's just lots of us here and everyone eats macaroni and cheese. Like, but I wouldn't have that if I, you know, divorced Todd, we had two kids who we split on the weekends. Like I can't really, you know, so it's just um, living out the Catholic teaching on marriage naturally creates this ultimately relevant community of families Mm -hmm. um, that can take in people who maybe don't have that. Um, But we've got to rebuild marriage and the family and not get back to before the sexual revolution, but emerge after it wiser (laughs) and holier than um, we did going in for sure. And I think that's also a good place for transition because having a lot of kids means you have to buy a lot of groceries. And oh no, not the inflation segment. Almost lost in the mix of FBI raids galore. We have the Inflation Reduction Act passed on Monday. We have Mercer, our local political head, uh, I'm sure has some thoughts on that. Uh, I'm going to bring up some of the things that I did before we dive into it. So this is from the Democrats' Twitter account. It will lower healthcare and prescription drug costs, lower energy costs, reduce the federal deficit, make the largest investment to combat climate change in U.S. history, make corporations pay their fair share in taxes. Did you notice any words missing from those accomplishments? Yeah, I mean, what's hilarious about this is that it lowers healthcare costs because they're increasing subsidies for Obamacare, right? So that's how they're lowering the cost. It's not like they're doing any deregulation or tax cut. Mercer, before you dive into that, is there a word that's missing from those accomplishments? Any, any, say the Inflation Reduction Act, was there any mention of reducing inflation? Yeah, I mean, how do they reduce prices, right? Do they actually reduce prices? Doesn't seem obvious to me. I don't know if there's... Yeah, I mean, it's not. I mean, in other words, the only way they accomplish that is by giving money to people. Like, here, we will, here's a stack of cash to help you pay for your health care. Here's a stack of cash uh, so you could buy that electric car. Where'd the cash come you know, from? So, oh, right. It comes from us. I mean, we're, it's, Me. it's all tax money. It's not like, you know, it's like, it's not like they, they you know, oh, wow, you know, we'll take it from some magical tree. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it's our money that they're spending. So, it, it, of course, it cracks me up about that. Um, you know, it's, if they really wanted to make lower energy costs, then, then how can we make energy cheaper? You know, maybe it would be less regulations. Maybe it would be allowing Keystone XL pipeline. Maybe it would be get, you know giving your blessing and trying to increase nuclear power, which would be clean energy. Mm-hmm. But they don't want to do any of that stuff. They just have right. this obsession with you know this Green New Deal stuff where they're like, oh, uh, coal is bad and nasty. And I love my, my Prius, which I don't have to put any of that icky gas in. And it's like, well, what? Like, if you have an electric car, I think you should not be able to plug it into anything that gets... Fo- that's, fueled by fossil fuels. It's like, you know, no, make sure you plug that into like a solar panel or something like that. Because (laughs) so often like they're like, oh, look at all these cars. And like, it takes one brave person to go, yeah, so all these cars, you're charging them. How do you pay? How do you, how are you feeling this journey? Where did it come from? Natural natural gas too. Right. Huge. Great. So you see like this, this generator come in at like a festival, you know, and it's got, it's, it's, with natural gas or something like that mm-hmm. and there's all these priuses that are plugged into it it's like <laughs> at least you're not using gasoline yufta mm-hmm. it's just right. a joke it's it's more of a lifestyle thing people feel guilty you know these rich people in the suburbs they feel guilty 
about the earth and everything, and they need some sort of religious experience. And for right. them, it's climate change, and they feel so much better. It's slacktivism. I'm doing my part by driving this, you know, Prius. It's a bunch of baloney. I'm going to get so a slacktivism tattoo on my chest. Yeah, slacktivism. I love That's it. It's a great tagline. We should sell some merch. This inflation thing, it drives me crazy. Because you hear this, what, what Biden said, it was 0%. Oh, my gosh. It didn't, it didn't accelerate. <laughs> it didn't accelerate, right? It, inflation did not accelerate month to month. But prices are, I mean, this drives me crazy. He's like, so yeah. it's 0%. Zero? Really? I mean, that's like me saying, I put on a lot of weight during the pandemic. You know, I gained 20, 30 pounds, so fat, right? But you know what? I didn't gain any weight last month, so now I'm fit. No, dude, hey. you're still fat. You still got <laughs> to lose the weight, bro. I mean, the prices are still high. Yeah. What are you talking about? Ooh, we're not, it's not $5 a gallon, it's $4 a gallon. Brother, it's still a buck and a half, $2 higher than it was before. And like yeah. beef, it's still a dollar fifty higher. I mean, what are you talking about? Well, it was zero percent. Thanks for great. I have some stats for you. It's uh, so seventy-two percent of families are saying they're changing their habits to accommodate higher prices for basics such as eggs, milk, butter, and bacon. That's me. It's it's not like I, I mean, I talked to my neighbor. He's like, yeah, my my grocery bill doubled, went from three fifty to seven hundred. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, he doesn't have a big family. I didn't double my budget. I just told, I just asked my children, which one of you are not going to eat this week? You know, that's right. That's right. Well, we just got our, um, our fasting days, you know? Yeah. We just got our electric companies, uh, the new, the contract for next year. We're on a monthly payment plan where you sign up and you pay the same thing every month for a year. So it's fixed. So last year we were fixed at, I think it was two fifty a month. Next year we're five seventy five. I'm like, Whoa. I don't even know how to. And then I'm watching Biden be like, we're at zero percent. So this sort of victory lap language and oh, gas prices went down. They're still double what they were a year ago. Uh-huh. So this like victory lap language is just I don't totally it, it just totally out of touch. Don't read the room, guys. People yeah. are angry. We're not buying meat anymore. Like we have meat on Sundays. I feel like my depression era grandma. Well, kids we will have chicken on Sunday to celebrate mm-hmm. our Lord. You said they changed the diff. I mean, that's my neighbor and I. We're raising chickens now, so I mean, this is what there I'm you saying. Go. My daughter like, wants know. to raise meat rabbits. She's like, "Mom, yeah. could we eat more meat if we had meat rabbits?" <laughs> well, if you want, yeah. it's out of touch, of course, because people, real people, are rightfully upset. But then it feels very the Green Deal stuff feels very patronizing to me. Right. There was a recent clip of Granholm, who I grew up in Michigan, and she was the governor for some time. Uh, not a fan. She was saying, well, you know, if you wanted to save some money, you could buy an electric car and then you would never have to fill up gas again. And gas is that. like, I don't know, 450 right now. And just think about how much savings that is, like if you don't have to do it. And it's it's not just that it's out of touch. It's patronizing. It's yeah. why are you, you, an elected official talking to me like I'm five, like I don't understand that. And then fail to mention I mean, the average used car price, and we're talking gas cars right now, is $30,000. I just looked it up. It's $30,000. Mm-hmm. An electric car average cost, $67,000. Right. So, I mean, it's the ultimate let them eat cake moment. And I know all the historians will be like, oh, Marie Antoinette didn't really say that. But it's capturing an aura, right? It's this let them eat cake while the peasants are starving out on the streets around Versailles, right? And just total uh, lack of lack of touch and just uh, the obtuseness, right? You're obtuse. 
I'm sure Mercer has a more choice word. Well, I mean, I just, I, I mean, the thing is, like, I think they are, I do think they're playing with fire on this one. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's way out of touch. It's very elitist. And there are a lot of Americans who are paycheck to paycheck. So, you know, Erica, you might be, your family might have to make some tough decisions, like you say, because of the energy costs, but you might be able to manage it. But there might be some people who, like, they're on fixed income. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they don't have places to cut anymore. So, right. like, as the, as the energy and food prices go up, it's like, yeah, not only are we not going on vacation, but, you know, we're mm-hmm. having to really make some very difficult decisions. Um, you right. know, I, I just, I think it's just appalling and, and vulgar, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, just get an electric car. Like, what? I mean, I'm paycheck right. to paycheck. If someone if someone's saying, oh, yeah, I'm paycheck to paycheck. I'm just going to buy a $67,000 car. I mean. Unbelievable. Right. And living on credit. And you're already, I already rely on the government to pay my Medicaid. And now they're telling me to go buy an electric car. And it's just awful, which is, it's just another example too, of how, you know, the green energy agenda, that ideology uh, is ultimately destroys the poorest, the lower, lower income, lower middle income strata of society. It's so this whole, like the Democrats are the party of the worker. I mean, that died. That's dead. Gone. It's just gone. When I thought your article, Erica, on Catholic Vote was good about that, where all these Green New Deal policies really hurt the poor the most. Well, and that was the brainchild of editor Josh Mercer. So thanks for commissioning that, because I learned a lot. Oh, my goodness. It's ugly. The ugly underbelly of the solar panel industry. What is going on in Washington? What are the priorities of these people? Just absolutely mind-boggling. So speaking of mind boggling, we have our new segment. Our segment is called The Twilight Zone. It is a moment in the week where one of us felt we were living in the Twilight Zone. I definitely have my picks a little bit overshadowed by some of the major news, and I hope I still hang on to it. So I'm going to give first dibs to the editor of The Loop, Mercer. Mercer, what is your pick for Twilight Zone? Well, we touched on this actually already on on this conversation here, but I just think it's absolutely ridiculous that we have a president of the United States saying there's zero percent inflation because it didn't accelerate it's like inflation the prices are still high like Mm -hmm. it's not like yeah oh wow for like a few weeks things kind of chilled out like well actually it's not that they chilled out it's that the price on gas finally went down from a a super high level it had never been five dollars so it came down slow a little bit closer to earth at four bucks right but then other and airline prices went down, which well, you know, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you don't you don't care what the price it is to fly to Vegas. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> but then the other stuff still kept going up. Groceries, you know, meat, eggs, that's still going up. And so overall inflation did you know, didn't accelerate. It it evened out because you got somewhat of a break from gas, somewhat of a break from airline tickets, but all these other things were marching forward. Still going, climbing, still going up. You know, I mean, it's like a box. I, I got six kids. You know, we we I like to buy a big box of two and a half dozen eggs. It's like I remember when that was like two dollar, two and a half bucks, and it's okay. So it's not twelve dollars anymore. Yay! <laughs> Nine fifty. It's still four, three and a half times more than it was before. Congrats! You know, you're so not as poor. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a solid pick for Twilight Zone. Fortunately, it was not mine. But Erica, 
What is your pick for Twilight Zone? All right. Since Mercer didn't take it, I'm going with the 87,000 additional IRS agents. I'm like, yes, more IRS because they're doing so great. Um, and then, of course, the, the the job ad that said they had to be able to fire an assault weapon that has since come down. Tom, did you have that before they took it down? So to give a little bit more context, this is a very strong pick. Uh, so in the Inflation Reduction Act, the part of the, the funds were going to 87,000 new jobs in the IRS, everyone's favorite mm-hmm. uh, alphabet soup agency, behind the FBI, of course. Mm-hmm. So this is for a job posting on the website. It's actually been taken down. Uh, it was highly scrutinized on the internet very, and it went down very quickly, but I have major duties in front of me. And so we start off pretty good. We have adhered to the highest standards of conduct. Always love to hear that, especially in maintaining honesty and integrity, which they're famously known for. And so we have... This is, this is what the IRS wants out of these new agents. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Get I this think one. pretty good so far. Pretty good so far. Yeah. And then we yeah. go to... Tracking. Maintain a level of fitness necessary to effectively respond to life-threatening situations on the job. Like, okay, taxes can be dangerous. And finally, we have carry a firearm and be willing to use deadly force if necessary. Whoa. So we just ratcheted up to a billion. Be willing and able to participate in arrests, execution of search warrants, and other dangerous assignments. Mm. What? These are... Yeah. And like, I don't want to get all tinfoil hat to use the phrase that you used earlier. I've been. Effect. I, um, my hat's on. I, my oh. hat is like really tall right now. Um, but this is like double, this is almost doubling the size of the IRS staff in one fell swoop. And you wanted to know, well, how are they going to fund like the subsidies for the green energy, for health care? Well, they're going to go after people on their taxes with this new army of IRS agents wielding their weapons and wearing their brown shirts. But that's who's going to be, who do they go after? They don't go after rich people who like get all the tax loopholes with their fancy tax lawyers. No, this, the, and I just got this stat, the joint committee on taxation just released from the IRS data that 78 to 90% of the revenue raised from misreported income on taxes 78 to 90% of it comes from people making under $200,000 a year. So they go after, and 51% comes from people making less than $75,000 a year. So that means they've hired all these IRS agents to go after the middle class and the lower middle class on their taxes to fund the programs that will help us get through this non-recession that we're in. So that was my I'm twilight. Maybe don't have a recession and maybe don't have an IRS agent with a gun at my door. How about that? We'll just call it a, we'll <laughs> call call it a job. Even. Here's yeah. the thing. It drives me crazy about this, right? Mm-hmm. The left is all about defund the police, defund the police, defund the police. And then they're like, oh, uh, let's also make sure we have 87,000 new IRS agents with guns <laughs> and then go after everyone. And let's send the FBI after Donald <laughs> Trump. It's like, are, are you kidding me? Like the fund the yeah. police? You guys are so full of baloney. Where, so where is BLM this, this week? BLM should be all over this, being like they're targeting the minorities who are all under two hundred thousand a year. I mean, the left they're yeah. they're in favor of people who are low income, so they should be all over this. this they is should horrible, be up right? in arms. Literally, the leaders are currently hanging out in their six point whatever million mansion that they bought oh, with the funds right. that were fundraised. Forgot so about that. They're living a good life. They, I mean, it's hard to they care. Made it. Yeah, it's over. It's all good. We're where we need to be. I have a Twilight Zone. I'm glad neither of you picked it. So, I mean, the headline is just awesome. I have to read it verbatim. 
80-year-old granny banned from YMCA after demanding biological male leave women's locker room where little girls were undressing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I don't know where That's to go from this world. one. I mean, it was in Washington, so it shouldn't surprise me too much. But we're talking about she saw a biological male in there looking at some of these young girls in a YMCA. What is the acronym YMCA stand for again? I feel like it's changed. Young Men's Christian Association. Yeah, something it? like that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, so instead of saying, hey, maybe we should get him out of there for looking at little girls changing, they banned the 80-year-old woman who raised the alarm. Shoot the messenger. Yeah. That one, Twilight Zone yeah. vibes for sure, does not seem like the right decision on the YMCA's part. And I hope that we in Indiana have our YMCA bathrooms clear of men looking at little girls changing. That is some wishful thinking, (laughs) but I hope you're right, Tom. That's all I ask. That's, that's. Yeah. I, I want to like drive down to this granny's home and just bring her cookies or something. (laughs) Just be like, you go girl. I want to be you when I'm 80. I want to it's be kind that. of the I mean, magic of being old, right? It's like if yeah. you're old, you can just say whatever you want. You're just I you're past wait. caring what people think. This and is I'm, a fiasco. Yeah, I'm pumped. <laughs> I'm, I'm pumped do. for that for sure. Like people are like old old age is so bad. Like there's some bonuses, all right. You can watch TV as much as you want. You can speak your mind, and you can wear really cool like Tommy Bahama style like button down shirts with fun patterns. Well, like, you can eat dinner at three in the afternoon. True, yeah. early dinner. I'm down for. So, get the Red Lobster special. Every get to golf a lot. Play bridge. I've never played bridge, but it sounds fun. Well, so Pogo, in 67 years, when you're 80, you can enjoy all these benefits. I think that'll about do it for this week's edition. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Signing off, we got Tom, Erica, and Josh. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thanks for joining us on Loopcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. 